Hey, everyone. It's Robert Poole with the Growing Your B2B Small Business Podcast. Have you ever tried to sell somebody and get absolutely nowhere and then the next sale was a total laydown? It's most likely the type of buyer you're talking to. Let's talk about the difference and how we can use this to our advantage to increase sales. Do you have a small business that sells to other businesses? If so, you probably know that there are plenty of resources for companies that market to consumers or companies that sell to large and Fortune 500 type companies. But what about the small businesses in the middle who sell to other companies? Where do we go to get answers? How do we grow our company consistently while still keeping our sanity? That's the question, and this podcast is the answer. If you're listening to this podcast, you're part of an elite group of achievers who aren't willing to settle for just a 9-to-5 job. You're one of the heroes in our society, and you should be proud of it. Welcome to the tribe, and welcome home. Okay, everyone, I hope you're having an awesome day today. In the last episode, we talked about the most important skill of superstar salespeople, a skill that can be learned whether you're, quote, a sales personality or not. If you missed it, check it out. I think it'd be worth your time. Today, I want to talk about a marketing issue that confounds a lot of entrepreneurs and includes myself for many years. First, let's define what we're talking about with marketing. In my mind, marketing is sort of the first two parts of the sales process. Generally, that consists of a good hook to get the prospect's attention and willingness to listen to you or your company, i.e. that first impression that grabs them. And then the second part of marketing is storytelling, where that's a salesperson speaking directly to a customer or, you know, your sales copy on your sales page online or whatever. Once you get them past this stage, you get into the selling phase, which is basically the offer and the close. So we aren't talking about the sales part, just the marketing part today. So when it comes to marketing, the first thing that we have to do is identify and define our ideal or dream client. Without this, we're wasting an enormous amount of energy and marketing to the wrong people. After you get that over, we have to identify the category that each of our prospects fit into and tailor our marketing to their current situation. The goal of marketing is always to help the prospect make an identity shift to be open to our solution. You know, it warms them for the offer and the close. I did an episode, you know, on the importance of identity shifting a couple episodes back, so you can check that out for more details on what I'm talking about. In my mind, the prospects we work with, whether we're marketing to them one-on-one or in a physical setting like, uh, you know, in person, on the phone, or even video, uh, and even for that matter, selling from stage or, you know, and even marketing strictly online, there are really only three categories of prospects. And I like to call these three categories the fanatics, the ambivalent, and the disgruntled. So let's talk about what I mean by each of these categories. So the fanatics. Um, you know, of course, I'm not talking about fanatical terrorists and that kind of thing, so don't get offended. I'm just using a word that makes it stick out in my mind. But I'm talking about prospects who are extremely committed to a product or service or a brand. You know, they love the solution they have. They tell their friends and colleagues about it. You can't tell them there's a better solution because their identity is actually wrapped up in that product. You know, an example of this would be, you know, Apple users who camp out in front of a uh, Apple store for three days before the new iPhone comes out, you know those type of people or people who buy the Yeti uh, coolers, you know, you can get a $300 cooler for what would cost you $20, uh, you know, if you went to Walmart or whatever. And it's because they've developed a community and people feel that's part of their identity. So about the fanatics, you know, what's the likelihood of, uh, you know, buying an alternative? Well, you know, good luck with that because they're, they're really the worst kind of buyers and the payoff has to be big because they're unlikely to buy in the short term. So how do we market to the fanatics? In general, this can take a very long time, but it can be done. And of course, the company they're committed to could screw something up, but likely it's an identity shift somewhere else in their life. You know, they get 
married, they have kids, they have a change in their finances or job or whatever, something that changes their priorities and slowly their identity over time. If you chip away at it for long enough and with the right subtle messages to let them know it's okay to switch identities and with life changes, you can get them, but you better be patient. So the second category I call the ambivalent. Usually these people have some solution in place for whatever problem they have, or they know there are solutions out there for a problem, but the problem maybe isn't that important to them, so solutions aren't either. They also may be happy or even unaware that they have a problem and or that there's a better solution for their problem. Either way, they don't really care enough to change. You know, example of this, uh, you know, like my current uh, bug, you know, exterminator, there's, you know, in Arizona, you got to worry about scorpions and all kinds of other stuff, you know, so kind of a, if you own a house, it's kind of a, something you have to have, but, you know, I know I need one and, you know, but the one we have is okay, but, you know, they're not, not the best, you know, they're not really solving the complete problem, but, you know, finding and changing the solution to some other company takes more effort than the problem is really bothering me right now. So I'm not sure that there's even a better solution out there. Basically, because I'm not desperate for a solution, I'm not ticked off. You know, I'm definitely not a fanatical fan of the company. I'm just kind of there. So again, uh, where are the ambivalent people? They're, are they likely to buy an alternative? Well, like I said, uh, you know, on the surface, they're not the easiest people to sell either because they're not that motivated to do anything different, just like me and the exterminator. You know, they're still more open to buying than the fanatic. So with the right messaging, you know, we can start pushing them to change. So in general, how do we market to these people? You know, these prospects are definitely sellable, but, you know, not as hard as the fanatics and they take some work, but they're doable. Key to shifting these prospects' identity is figuring out, you know, how to point out some pain and exacerbate that pain and help them experience a fear of loss, that sort of thing. Sort of stick the knife in and twist it so they can no longer ignore the problem and the solution. So that's your ambivalent buyers. And finally, third category I call the disgruntled. You know, these are the ones that they have a solution to a problem or, you know, want that they have and they're aware of other solutions, but they're frustrated with what they have currently or, you know, with the options that they can find in the marketplace. They're, you know, they're anywhere from just annoyed with the problem and their current situation to, you know, downright mad at their current solutions, their solutions uh, provider or lack of an alternative in the market and feel helpless. They may have transitioned from ambivalent, you know, to disgruntled slowly over time and finally got fed up with all the little things and finally crossed over to the disgruntled category. You know, I think a good example, uh, gym memberships, you know, they're anywhere from $20 to over 100 and, you know, gyms make most of their money by signing up far more people for memberships than they could handle at one time, as they know. And in fact, statistically, only about 18% of the people that uh, buy gym memberships actually work out on a regular basis. That tells you something about our culture. So in this case, you've got 80% of the customers or prospects are in the ambivalent category. The majority of the customers aren't even using the service they're paying for. You know, and that, of course, would include me at certain points in my life. You know, but what do you think uh, would happen if the gym started raising prices or did something to poke the bear, so to speak? Basically, some, something that suddenly starts to irritate people. You know, they close down the gym closer to your house. You know, they cut their hours from 24 hours a day to eight to six, you know, when you're working. Things like that. So, you know, a portion of those ambivalent customers become disgruntled and are very open to change. And that's the best buyer, a motivated one. You know, you can also think about, you know, your local cable company, even though that's becoming, you know, less, but you could say your internet provider or whatever, you know, let's say you have constant problems with your TV signal, your internet or whatever, you know, you call and try to get help and get put on hold for hours with little resolution, et cetera. You know, you're in the ticked off category, you know, of a customer. Somebody offers you a way out of this with an alternative vendor or technology you probably jump all over it. 
So what's the likelihood of them buying an alternative uh, in this disgruntled category? Well, they're highly likely to consider it an alternative if we can give them. If we can show them that there's a better way to solve their need or their want, they're definitely going to be open to it. So, and how do we market to them in general? For these prospects, it's as simple as showing them they can get out of their current painful situation and easily use our alternative solution that'll solve their problem. You know, beyond a little trust building and differentiating ourselves from the current solution, these are the easiest uh, to convert to customers. So now we have some general idea of where most prospects are in their enthusiasm for our solution and their willingness to be open to change, but, you know, and how we should approach them in general. But how do we practically figure out how to market to each group and an overall strategy? Let's start with strategy. Like most things in business where we're trying to quickly increase our revenue, it makes the most sense to go after the low-hanging fruit first and prioritize our resources to focus on that. That means we focus on our salespeople, our online marketing, our list of prospects we're cold calling, our targeted advertising, and pretty much everything else to focus on the most likely to buy and, and the quickest. So you can probably guess, you know, from this that it's the third category, the disgruntled. That's the lowest hanging fruit. When marketing to the disgruntled, you know, we're probably already 60, 75% there in terms of marketing and changing that identity. What we need to do is establish some trust that we're, what we're saying is true, that our solution is actually a good alternative to what they're dissatisfied with. Show them it's easy and it's okay to change and then give some help uh, to help them get over fear of that, you know, natural change uh, through some logic and urgency. Make them an offer they can't refuse. Some of the ways we can do this, you know, we can build trust with things like testimonials or money back guarantees and that sort of thing. And then once they're comfortable with us and feel like we're legit, then we need to show them how easy the process is to change. And we can do this by giving them a simple one, two, three process that illustrates the ease of change, assure them that we'll help them make that change seamlessly and take away their concerns about the pain of changing. Then we just need to back up their decision with some logic to help them justify what their emotions are telling them to do so that it, quote, makes sense, you know, to change. Finally, we have to help them get over that human nature of fear of change. We can do this by, you know, using the fear of loss, letting them know if they don't act now, the solution goes away, or if they're going to lose a lot of money by waiting, you know, and so on. Make them an offer that's too good to pass up. So if we're prioritizing our efforts and resources, the disgruntled should always be first on the list. Now, if we run out of the disgruntled or we have the resources to expand, we should market to the other two categories as, you know, there are sales in there and we're leaving money on the table if we completely ignore them. Let's look at the ambivalent. Again, you know, these are the people who are okay where they are. And, you know, as far as they're solving their problem or their want, the solution they have is okay, or they don't feel that, you know, that strongly about the problem. You know, how do we help them to have that identity shift to be, consider our product? You know, the main thing we need to do is help them feel the pain of their current situation. If we can get them to start feeling that their current situation is more painful than they thought and sort of accentuate that pain to the point where they're much more in the mood to change, you know, we're on the right track. I love Myron Golden. Uh, he's one of my favorite sales trainers. And his explanation of why people buy is very simple, because they want to. We have to get them to experience pain with their current solution and start to shift in wanting an alternative if one exists. So how can we help them to start experiencing pain with their problem or their want? Well, we can start by subtly reminding them of how that solution doesn't solve their problem and why they should want more. For instance, let's say you're a business broker and you're marketing to owners of businesses and hoping to help them sell their business. The ambivalent prospect may have, you know, an interest in selling their business, but they're not in a hurry. They figure, yeah, when I get around to it, you know, but it sounds complicated and, you know, quite a bit of effort. So they may not be that motivated to make a change. 
I mean, they want to eventually, but, you know, the status quo is pretty easy. So how do you market to someone like this? Again, we have to help them see their pain in the current situation, exacerbate and bring it to the surface in their mind. So what can a business broker do in this example? You know, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to convince somebody to sell their business just by asking them. Uh, But if the broker were to market to him over time with subtle little bits of info that kind of point out that if he doesn't sell soon, he'll net less cash because of, you know, a pending tax law changes or the economy or the type of industry he's in is sort of in a downward trend of valuations. So he's best to look at selling now if he wants to net the most cash and so on. You know, over time, you're able to chip away at his identity, start to make him uncomfortable, start making him feel like he might lose something if he doesn't change. Eventually, he'll talk himself into dissatisfaction and his situation and maybe be more open to change. You know, this is a process and, of course, doesn't happen overnight, but worth the effort in the long run if you're patient. We've talked about the low-hanging fruit, the disgruntled, and also about the ambivalent and how to help them move to that disgruntled category. But what about the last category, the fanatics? I mean, should we even market to them? In my opinion, the answer is yes. 20 years ago, I probably would have said, no, they're not worth the time. It's a waste of resources. With today's automation and follow-up and pennies on the dollar direct response marketing, we don't have to make very big investment in this group of prospects. So if we have the resources, you know, there's sales in there waiting. And we just have to be patient because it's likely to take the longest and more effort uh, in marketing over time. So here we are with the fanatic. They're totally committed with their identity to their current solution. How do we ever get past that? Well, again, it's not easy, but it can be done over time. You know, of course, this is not a podcast about religion and you don't have to believe in God. I mean, I do, and I believe the Bible is the word of God. But even if you're not religious, you probably know the basic story of Adam and Eve. You know, the tree they're not supposed to eat off and, you know, the devil tricking him, you know, the original sin, all that. Most people in Western society at least know this story, even if it's just from a literary standpoint. But, you know, if you look at the exact text in Genesis in the Bible where the the story is told, it comes down to language as far as how Satan convinced Eve to disobey God and make a change. So what happened? Well, in a nutshell, God told Adam and Eve, you know, I've given you a ton of fruit trees to eat off in this garden, and you can eat off all of them uh, except one. So no problem. Adam and Eve are very satisfied with their options. You know, they have no reason to eat off the banned tree and, you know, their creator has given them everything. So they're, uh, they're pretty satisfied. And I would even say they're fanatics. But then, you know, Satan comes along and suddenly suggests things by starting to put doubts in Eve's mind. You know, she's committed to God, happy where she is. And since she doesn't know any better and won't openly change, she'd probably be considered a fanatic. But Satan uses, you know, subtle wording to chip away at her beliefs. And he begins to suggest things to her. Now, he doesn't attack her beliefs directly, as he knows that won't work, and she'd just most likely tick her off and make her dig in her heels. She's committed to what she knows and, you know, what her creator told her, etc. So he says, hey, um, you know, Eve, did God really say that you can't eat from every tree in the garden? And there's a very slight but important change in wording here. He swapped out the word all that God said when it came to the trees and inserted that you can't eat from every tree, not all trees. Suddenly, he starts to hint and get Eve to question her mind, uh, maybe thinking, wow, am I missing something? Well, I can't eat out of every tree uh, instead of thinking about all the trees. You know, so, you know, he gets her to start focusing on her choices, a lack of options. I mean, she's probably thinking, maybe I'm missing out on something. Of course, Satan continues on this and uses other words and phrases to start getting her to question her beliefs and her identity. And that's what we need to do when marketing to the fanatics. Of course, I'm not at all comparing salespeople and marketers uh, to Satan, so don't go down that road. 
you know, I believe that sales is the most noble profession in the world. In fact, I did a whole episode on this uh, a while back. But the point is, though, we need to use the same strategy because it works. When dealing with a fanatic, we need to be able to subtly and intentionally use our marketing and sales message to start cracking away the, you know, the wall in the prospect's mind and their beliefs about their current situation. So what do I mean by that? I mean, we talked earlier about the Apple users who will sit outside an Apple store for three days before the release of the new iPhone or whatever. I mean, they're definitely committed. You know, how do you start chipping away at their beliefs and their identity? Now, what if we said, uh, you know, you're talking to a, one of these people and said, wow, you know, that iPhone is awesome. I, I'm really excited for you. I just wish it had, you know, feature X or whatever that my Android has. Or, you know, hey, you know, I used to be an Apple user, too. But I found that my Android phone did everything the Apple one did, at least the features I used, but, you know, it only cost me about half as much. And I'm all on top of that, I'm not locked into one vendor. So what starts happening? You know, regardless of the, the Apple's user's commitment and how they feel, they'll start asking themselves questions in their head, you know, trying to debate, is that true or not? And then they'll start thinking, am I missing a feature that the other solution has? Is this person right? Do I really need all these features or could I save several hundred dollars? and the features I actually use. And in that instance, you know, they might say, no, that's not true. And I'm going to continue with my solution. But if you do that enough times with those kinds of examples, over time, you'll chip away at the subconscious of those people. So by making non-threatening comments and not attacking the person's identity, but making them second guess themselves, give enough of these suggestions over time, we have a good chance of moving them to the middle of the road and turning them into that ambivalent prospect who still likes their iPhone, but isn't necessarily against Android, just has no reason to change at this point. So this is how we deal with the fanatics. Again, are they an easy sale? Definitely not. But with today's technology of automation and segmentation, we can target specifically at this group and eventually move some of them to the ambivalent category. You know, let's say this is only 5% over time. I mean, that doesn't sound like much, but you're not spending a ton of resources beyond the initial setup of a sales funnel, for instance, and you know, very limited social media ads or whatever, the payoff can be worth it, especially in B2B where our ticket sizes of sales are typically larger with larger margins. So takeaways from this episode, you know, again, marketing is about identity shifting. We have to start with our demographically ideal clients, but then we have to identify what category they're in. Only then should we start marketing to them in a very specific way that are tailored to their current situation. Otherwise, we're going to be beating our heads against the wall and hoping we hit the lottery and get to the appropriate sales message to the right prospects. And one of my favorite sayings, hope is not a strategy. I'll wrap it up here, but I hope you got something out of this and hope you have an outstanding day. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening today. I hope you learned something you can implement right away. I know your time is valuable and it's really an honor to serve you. Please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform and give me your honest feedback. Also, I put together a short ebook on some of the top lessons I've learned in 20 years owning a B2B business. You can download a free copy at growyourb2bcompany.com. 